Hey guys, this is Michael Tuig with um, Reclaiming Our Patrimony, and I'm joined with my co-host, Jude Burkett. Uh, Jude, how are we doing? Hey, Michael. Doing great. Excited to talk to you today. Yeah. So, uh, and what are we going to be talking about today, Jude? Not the weather, hopefully? Yeah, I, I hope not. I don't know if, if anybody would be interested in hearing us talk about the weather, to be quite honest. Uh, you know I wouldn't be. But anyways, yes, what are we talking about today? So I believe something about modernity and the Catholic Church, right? If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's what it says in our notes. At least you can read, that's good. So yeah, um, we're going to be talking about modernity and the church, but specifically modernity and the liturgy um well we'll get into it i was gonna say for any potential non-catholic listeners we might have out there um if you're confused by this point don't worry we'll explain things as we go along um but yes i first thought that we could start talking about modernity and what modernity even is um because i think a lot of people throw that term around a lot um especially conservatives and conservative catholics um saying things like oh you know there's so many problems with modernity uh you know uh the modern world is so bad um etc etc but what (laughs) It seems like everybody has a different idea of what modernity even is. So I first like us to start off talking by talking about um, what even is modernity and kind of maybe defining our terms a little bit. Um, Modernity can refer to the secular, liberal, democratic, global culture that replaced the medieval world as a result of the Protestant Reformation, the Enlightenment, the French Revolution, and the Industrial Revolution, uh, just to name a few things, among many other events, obviously, like when you're studying history, all sorts of events, people happen, uh, the causation in history is a very interesting thing because there's so many things that that build up and lead to um, other things happening. Uh, So boiling, (laughs) boiling down modernity to those uh four causes is generalizing a lot but we can't talk about everything right. so well with the, uh, yeah with the definition you kind of have to get specific right so right i mean yeah you need to start start somewhere so i think it's yeah it's fair to go with these four events at least But yeah, so modernity then, as we've defined it, and you know, you could disagree with that definition, I guess. Um, but I think it's a pretty broad definition. And if we want to drill down a little bit more into modernity as it pertains to 
culture and what people believe in the sorts of uh i guess beliefs attitudes um cultural assumptions that everybody living at least in the um, western civilized world have um you can kind of boil it down to three foundational beliefs um these kind of stem from the enlightenment um or the endarkenment as i've read some people call it um <laughs> but um, <laughs> yes these three founding beliefs of the enlightenment include the primacy of reason um like human reason in opposition to faith tradition and authority um absolute freedom so absolute freedom in the political sense in the economic sense uh in the social sense um so in other words and this bleeds into the third uh founding belief which is um the primacy of the individual so the the individual person as this completely autonomous um being separate from all other external um sources of control or influence so the individual separated from his family from the nation from yeah, your local community things like that um yeah uh actually kind of wanted to go back to the to the first um sort of founding belief the enlightenment so it says as we said you know you said the primacy of reason in opposition to faith tradition and authority um it, it kind of seems to me that's almost primacy of reason that like and it rejecting faith, tradition, and authority. Uh, I don't know what you thought, like what your take on that would be. Um, to like reason at the expense of faith, tradition, and authority, maybe be a good way of putting it. Right. Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that can be a tangent. Um, <laughs> why not? Let's go on a tangent. Um, yeah, I guess I, I'm not a philosopher, but I mean, nor am I. So, <laughs> but I think we both read enough philosophy, or we will, um, that to know that in the Enlightenment, um, obviously there was this this hyper focus on human reason, specifically uh, the uh, people, Enlightenment philosophers started to put um, a lot more, I guess you could call it stock or faith into um, human reason and its ability to help us come to know the world. So if you think of like modern science, um, modern science was kind of born... I don't know, you could debate this, Galileo maybe, Newton. Um, I mean, you're, you take physics, Jude, right? So yeah. a little bit more about those figures than I would. Um, but kind of regardless of that, um, in around the 16th, 17th century, scientists and philosophers started to focus and, and believe that human reason was capable of coming to know the world um, in a certain way um, or with certainty, I guess is a better way of putting it. Um, 
and to kind of generalize a lot without going into it very much, um, when you start to believe that and you put that up with, or you compare that with religious faith, um, which essentially if, if for, at least in, in terms of Christianity, there's things that we have to believe that don't necessarily, or not don't, but there have reasons that we can't understand for why they work. Um, so like a belief in the Trinity um, there's no way that we can reason to that. So when you have this um, kind of hyper-focus on human reason and only trusting human reason, then what does that logically lead to um, when uh, you're in a context of uh, of a religion that has that makes demands of you to make these faith um, these a sense of faith in things that you can't reason to I guess is one way of putting it um, yeah um, actually it was kind of interesting it's almost you said something about how you know the enlightenment thinkers almost said they you said put their faith in reason so it's kind of like you can't really get rid of it's faith in a different maybe faith disguised almost it's like you ah. I think whether whether or not we whether we like it or not we operate with faith like you know just in day-to-day interactions day-to-day life um but i think yeah the enlightenment thinkers would definitely would be opposed to faith in the religious context i guess um but faith per se uh you can't really get around it, I guess. Well, yeah, I I guess the cut to the chase, like, can you prove through reason the existence of the triune God? No. No, like, (laughs) you just can't. So, um, in the 18th century, like, let's say um, you're a a churchman, and then some philosopher approaches you and says, uh, oh, you're religion is just superstition um you know prove to me that your your triune god exists yeah yeah what's the churchman gonna say well you know read the bible okay what if you don't believe in the bible um trust in the authority of the church ah you know oh so now we just have to take it on authority um yeah I can prove to you through mathematical, you know, calculations, the orbit of the sun and the, and the moon and the stars. Um, but you can't prove to me the existence of the triune God, at least through empirical kind of data. Um, so over time, like more and more people started to kind of, buy into that line of thinking, I guess, put their faith, as you said, into that line of thinking. Um, because I, I think it is kind of an ascent of faith when you say that human reason is able to come things or come to know things with certainty. 
right. Yeah, it's. I guess it's sort of a that kind of raises the question: Why? Like they're obviously putting their faith in something. Why reason rather than religion? You know. That's like I don't I don't know the answer to that, but. Right. Right. Um, and I mean, I think part of it too is, um, I mean, it, when you, when you read into it, a lot of enlightenment philosophers were also, I mean, they held their philosophical beliefs almost religiously. Um, and a lot of them genuinely believed that if human beings just if every human being just acted reasonably then we could live in a perfect world and we could kind of build this Mm. uh, a utopia on earth um and human beings on their own would be capable of perfecting themselves as long as they just as everybody lived reasonably and you know one thing is okay well how are we defining reasonably um yeah i was about to ask you what do you mean by reasonably (laughs) well with reason well yeah i mean that's it it would depend on like each individual philosopher but that's kind of where it breaks down it's like okay what's your definition of reasonable okay how did you come to that definition uh i reasoned (laughs) <laughs> it's like, mm. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. but then too, like it, uh, going back to, uh, this, this, uh, primacy, this placing the primacy on reason opposed to faith. Well, it ultimately just becomes faith. You know, when you say, Oh, um, if everybody just lives reasonably or disregarding, like how we're defining reasonably, um, then you're also claiming that there's no original sin, ultimately. Because that's assuming that, you know, A, every human being is capable of living reasonably, um, and B, that they're capable of doing that for a long enough period of time to build a utopia on Earth. Uh, It's kind of like communism. (laughs) Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, the old joke like, has has real communism ever been tried anywhere before? Uh, yeah, and it's failed every single time <laughs> because theoretically, like, if if everybody perfectly adhered to Karl Marx's system that he set up, theoretically, that. Yeah, and well, be able to live like, in a communist like the, utopia. Yeah, one of the founding fathers. I can't remember who was who said it, but if I think the quote is, "If men were angels, there would be no need for government." Essentially, so it's like, oh, yeah. I think that might be James Madison. I I could be mistaken, but that's sort of the idea we're getting at here. That's actually, yeah, that's that's really interesting. You brought it up because I've actually. Okay, this is, this is, we're going to stop the tangent here, but uh, <laughs> maybe for a future episode, because um, I've recently been thinking um, about Enlightenment philosophers, and 
how they're and in conjunction with um a class i took in my reading into like angelology and demonology and how exactly angels and demons operate what they are things like that um it it seems to me that enlightenment philosophers were philosophizing for angels or devising their philosophies as if human beings were the same as angels oh because oh, i mean because angels now correct me if i'm wrong they're pure intellect right yeah hmm. they're they're yeah. pure they're literally pure intellect pure will so and, and if you believe that because like, as we said the primacy of reason reason obviously to reason you need intellect oh yeah that makes right huh, interesting um but things like um again tangent we won't go there but um things like enlightenment epistemology is very it's almost like reading uh theology on angels <laughs> uh because they, they almost treat human beings like a like a brain in a vat which is if you want a really weird way of thinking about angels angels are kind of like floating brains <laughs> but without the brain part um immaterial brain yeah well i mean how do you even conceive of just like a will and an intellect existing? yeah anyways that <laughs> yeah that's off the off the path that was that was way off the reservation um <laughs> But yes, okay, back back to what were we even talking about? Oh yes, Maduro. Oh. Um Yeah. You know, this is probably how the podcast is gonna go. Being honest. Just gonna embrace it. Yeah. But um what does it mean to say that we're modern people? I guess oh yeah, where I was I remember where I was gonna go. But um talking about modernity in the abstract, what does that like look like in the concrete? Yeah, what is it? How does it manifest? Uh, you know, and I was, I'm, I'm thinking things like, um, well, obviously advanced technology. Right. That, yeah. That's pretty obvious. Like computers, they didn't have computers in the middle ages. Um, but also things like gender ideology. Yeah. Um, so yeah things like uh, transgenderism because transgenderism basically is the idea that the individual kind of gets to conform reality to how they view themselves right Mm. Mm -hmm. and that's sort of that goes to that that third principle of the individuals are completely autonomous separate from external things so yeah, like, you know, transgenderism. Somebody believes they can transition to the other, to the opposite gender, whatever. Right. But in reality, then, well, <laughs> that doesn't work. What, you're telling me that you, well, <laughs> you're telling me a man can't become a woman? Whoa. 
<laughs> Whoa, Jude. Whoa. Hot take. <laughs> Hot take. I, I don't I don't know if I wanna if I'm gonna agree with that. Um <laughs> Oh we're at first first dispute. I, I see. Oh yeah. Okay. No, but you're right. And um kind of the idea that reality reality is essentially becomes anything that you want it to be and then people have to conform to that. Yeah. Um, which yeah, it's almost contradictory because they they would hold that each person essentially gets to interpret their own reality. But then how do you how does that work when you come together? Right. It's like if you have your own reality and I have my own reality, there's no way we can. Like there's no common reality. Oh. Oh, there's a lot packed in there. Um. Well, I mean, for one thing, why do you think we have so many problems in our country? <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Like, if if Jude thinks he's a woman, and <laughs> and I tell him he isn't, but he firmly believes that he is, then if we can't, like, there's there's no way that we're going to come to a common like, understanding at that point. Um, yeah. So then it all at that point it just boils down to who has more power ultimately then i kind of yeah you kind of if you look out in the culture i think you can kind of see that playing right. out yeah i mean if if you have more political power than i do then you just force me to conform to that um and yeah that's if anybody's shocked by the fact that that's where our like <laughs> that's where our culture's at. Well, I have news for you. Yeah, um, got another thing coming. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I guess other examples of like what it means to live in, in the modern age. So we, we mentioned advanced technology, so gender ideology, things like transgenderism, homosexuality. Um, I personally like this one, trans speciesism, where, um, mm. <laughs> yes, where uh, you become is this convinced. The, the furry furry people is that another term for it? Yeah, yeah. Where you think you're an animal? Mm. Yeah. I don't. I don't know what else. Let, Moving, moving on from that one, um, but, uh, things like divorce, um, rupture of family and community life, um, big centralized international governments. So all of these things um, are hallmarks of the modern world. Uh, and I'm sure you can think of other ones. But so things like homosexuality, um, obviously homosexuality has existed throughout the entire yeah human history of humanity i mean like sodom and gomorrah uh yes go back to biblical times or you know the greeks um mm. but yeah i guess the bigger like the bigger what what distinguishes modern homosexuality in the modern age is um the cultural assumptions that go along with it 
to put it really basically, by and large, everyone accepts homosexuality as natural and fine, morally fine, um, culturally fine. Even most, uh, or a lot of Republicans, which is disturbing. Um, but that's radically different than right. most that's how you... periods of human history. Um, so I guess that's just one, like one example. But all of the other ones that we listed, their existence and the the kind of cultural assumptions or attitudes that most people have about them are distinctly modern phenomena. Um, yeah. At the same time, there are also a lot of problems um, that exist in the modern world. And a lot of problems, a lot of these problems are also problems that... I don't want to say didn't exist in the rest of human history, but they definitely are, I I would argue are distinctly modern phenomena. Um, So, so problems that I'm thinking of um, are things like hopelessness, uh, despair, socialized, social isolation, um, suicide, depression, um, sky high divorce rates, um, massive numbers of abortions, um, you know, drug abuse and massive, um, increases in drug overdoses, um, just re- tons of revolutionary movements, um, especially radicalized young people. Um, so, school shooters, Islamic terrorists, um, Antifa and BLM supporters, people like that. Um, and then a massive explosion of, of interest in the occult, New Age, um, uh, even Satanism. Um, then also things like uh, relativism and then narcissism. That's a huge one. Um, this hyper-focus on the self. Um, yeah. And maybe not all of those things, but a lot of those things are, again, maybe they're not like exclusive to the modern age, but the, the, the extent of the problem is a distinctly modern phenomenon. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking especially like depression. Um, yeah. I, uh, what seems interesting so we had a uh, like advanced advance in technology seems to be a, a kind of a distinguished. I mean, but there's you know throughout history, technology has been advancing, right? You know, but I think te- technology has allowed for so like s- centralized governments. You can't have a huge centralized government without some sort of advanced technology that allows you to sort of be able to interact. At, at a large scale efficiently. Like you just couldn't have that back, I don't know, even 500 years ago. Mm. Uh, international government, same thing. And then also, like, I think, like, social media is another thing. 
<laughs> I think that's got has a, could be the result cause of a lot of these problems. Especially, like, <laughs> what are your thoughts on that. social media? Uh, I mean, I don't. So, full disclosure, I don't. Ha- I don't have any social media accounts. I mean, I guess yeah, you can consider neither. podcasting no. social media. But so, like you know, things like I'm thinking things like Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Yeah. TikTok. No, I I don't have social media either. But yeah, it definitely encourages narcissism, like a focus on the self, curating your image, that you know, curating the image that people will see, and like only that image. So it's like a very specific. Almost, it's, I guess it would be artificial, really. Image of yourself. Yeah. yeah, and actually, so now that you bring that up, that's really, it's really interesting how all these things kind of play together. Um, because, so social, staying on the social media thought. Um, I don't know if you've ever watched the uh, documentary, uh, what's it called? The Social Dilemma. No, I haven't. I haven't, even, I haven't heard of it, but. It's actually, I'd check it out. Um Okay. It's about social media, and it, it, to spoil it a little bit, it it it, it um, talks about all the negative aspects and consequences of social media. But one of the things that um, some of the people um, in that uh, documentary mentioned is exactly your point that social media is almost inherently well not inherently but it it fosters um artificiality so when you're you know uh creating a social media persona for yourself you you have complete freedom to basically try to make yourself appear as perfect as possible um so, like, taking the perfect yeah. picture and adding the perfect filter and, you know, cleaning up any blemishes that might appear on your face in the picture and and then sharing it with the world. But what these researchers were finding was that, almost ironically, um, the increase in social media use among especially younger um, kids, so, like, teens and, and younger teens like 10 10 to 18 um that increase in social media use also tracked with a massive increase in depression in um you know suicidal thoughts things like that because um when (laughs) you're on social media and you're seeing all these pictures of perfect people just on your feed yeah and you're comparing yourself to them as a 12-year-old, as 12-year-olds are wont to do, and you're like, wow, all of these people in my feet are perfect. All these people I follow are just, you know, physically perfect, and they, they, they're, you know, seem to have the perfect lifestyle, and I don't. Well, you know, it's pretty obvious to me. A lot of problems. yeah, a lot of like self-esteem problems and um, problems with depression, um, especially because social media is so ubiquitous. Everybody's on it. Um, yeah. 
But I think you, you also had another thought that I, I wanted to go off of, um, which was that, like, the things that distinguish the modern world and then the problems of the modern world are... It's very interesting how they overlap. So uh, we talked about advanced technology. And you would think that um, with all the advances that we have in technology and our ability to produce so much surplus wealth, right? Like uh, on a scale that has never been seen before in human history, um, the amount of material comfort that we live in today is like the, the most wealthy Chinese emperor in you know, at the height of the Tang dynasty in the eighth century w- would be like a poor person in the United States. Um, and that, that's not even an exaggeration. Like that's, that's just the truth, but like disregarding all these like material comforts that we have and all these like technological advances and all of that. And we still have massive problems with uh, depression and a sense of meaninglessness and purpose, purposelessness in life and um, suicide, again, like suicide, uh, drug overdoses, abortion, all of these things, which it, it doesn't seem like those, those problems should even exist, at least on the surface. Yeah. Hmm. Which I guess this is a nice little segue um, into the main meat of what we were actually going to talk about, um, because at least it seems to us, then I think it's pretty. We're not making any kind of new or radical, radical or bold statement in saying this, but that many modern people if not most modern people are desperately searching for meaning belief transcendence escape uh stability um they're all distinct things but i think it's pretty safe to assume that people are desperately searching for that um because you don't you don't have a culture where all the problems that we just listed, yeah, um, like despair, depression, hopelessness, that stuff doesn't if that that, that doesn't coincide with meaning belief. Yeah. You know those two right. things. So it, they're inverse re- related. Right. Exactly. If you if you have um, belief in something that transcends this world, well, like, no matter how hard this world is chances are you're not going to have a lot of these problems right. that you would otherwise have if you didn't have that belief. Um, yeah, so I think I don't, I don't think it's too hard to argue that that, that is a problem. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's kind of yeah, self-evident. Although, <laughs> we say that, and <laughs> there are lots of people who would either disagree with that or probably disagree with the source of the problem, which I think is where we're headed towards next. At least 
one of the sources yeah um of these problems um because there's only so much we can talk about and so many tangents we can go on um yeah but yeah so having kind of set up all that background um of painting the picture so to speak this is the modern world that we live in um we thought that we'd talk specifically about um modernity and the catholic church if you enjoyed this episode please consider subscribing we're on spotify apple podcast youtube or wherever you get your podcasts also, if you want to help spread the word, leave a five-star review and tell your friends about it. Thank you for listening to Reclaiming Our Patrimony.